Welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast, where we believe God heals people in the way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Let's vie for victory, friends. Hello and welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast. My name is Tara Bradham Denai. And before we get going with our story today, I just wanted to give a huge thank you to everyone who attended or helped out in any capacity with our second heal retreat for people who deal with chronic pain or physical limitation and how we can not only reconcile that, but live in absolute abundance through that and even because of it, not in spite of what we have going on with Christ. So huge, huge thank you. I can't wait to see what God continues to do with this ministry that's evolving. And our next one is going to be in October. So if you're interested, if you really wanted to come to this one and couldn't make it work with your schedule, you're going to head to thehealretreat.com. And very soon we're going to get that registration up for the one in the fall. Also, if you enjoy these episodes, please head over to the iTunes store, give us a five-star rating, write a quick review, take you know, 60 seconds, two minutes of your time, please. That will really help other people find this show and continue to be encouraged and continue to build this incredible community that we're seeing come out of these episodes and retreats. And today on the show, we have Nathan Witten, who is one of my very good friends. And I feel so privileged now that he's let me share his story on multiple platforms from back when I was a broadcast journalism major in college to there's an article if you want to read a version of his story, which is fun at Swimming World magazine. It's called Defying the Odds One Stroke at a Time. And now I get to share his story on a podcast. So it's fun to follow him on this journey to see him still fighting for his destiny still encouraging others, still not giving himself excuses and still looking to the Lord amidst it all. So he was born with physical differences and now he is going for the Paralympics, even though those have been delayed. But more than that, there's just a wonderful story of adoption written into his life from Russia, but then also adoption as sons. And this can apply to everyone, sons and daughters of the Lord and just all kinds of wonderful aspects to his story. And I believe you're going to be really, really encouraged by his testimony. So here's my conversation with Nathan Witten. So Nathan, we've been friends for quite a little bit. I haven't done this math, actually. I'm thinking about it. When did we meet? Was it my sophomore year? Yeah, I want to say 2013, if I'm correct. Okay, so like seven years. Yeah. Super cool. And then just from Arkansas and then, you know, we would meet up when you drove, drove, whoa, words, drove through Texas. And then now you're still in Arkansas, right? Yes. I'm still teaching here. And are you coaching as well? Yes. I'm coaching uh, the local high school team as well. Okay. So what do you teach? So I teach middle school PE and in the early mornings I coach the high school team. Okay. Swimming. Yes. Swimming. Okay, cool. So... Tell us a little bit about just the pandemic and the teaching profession. What does that look like? Because I think it's really different across the country right now. Yeah, it's it's so wild for me. And there's some days, even in the summer, and preparing for the next school year, 
there's times where I have to like pinch myself and be like, man, is this actually really happening? It's funny because at the beginning when this all started happening, I was actually preparing to go to Thailand for the World Games and um, also preparing the high school team for high school state swim, but then also getting the, the last quarter for, the, for my middle school students together. And nobody really saw this all happening. You know, at first they were like, yeah, we're going to be out of school for maybe two weeks and then another week for spring break. And here we are, you know, haven't been back in school for a good while and looking to the future doesn't look that well. And so for a teacher, everything has been kind of adapt. You know, you're, you're being creative, you're being resourceful yeah. with the tools that you have. And then also having a lot, a lot of um, understanding for the kids situation and, for myself, I'm very fortunate with the way I grew up, is that there are some kids who can virtually learn, who this program, what the districts are setting up, it's tailored for them. But then when you make the daily phone calls to students, you realize there are households that are sharing one laptop, maybe not even having a device, and they're having to use a little iPhone, you know, and I, I just kind of yeah. feel for those students who have to deal with that. And so a lot of it is just being understanding, trying to be creative, think outside the box. And the one thing I always kind of say is this is such a, a great resume builder to be teaching through these times, because if you can get through these times, just think about what other times you can get through. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. I have to say I have not had that good of an attitude in the sense of I was a teacher and a coach, teacher for two, coach for one. And I have just been like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine being a teacher right now. <laughs> But I love that there are people like you still doing it. Uh, so are y'all going back, like split virtual and in person? Or what's your plan? Right now, our district, as of today, because you know how things can change within the next, you know, 12 hours or even the next 12 yeah. minutes. Um, right now, we're, our district is having three options. They're having, you know, students can come back to school full time. They can be virtual learners or they can come to school every other day of the week and then stay home, you know, every other day as well. Wow. So it kind of, it looks like say go to school Monday, Wednesday, Friday, stay home Tuesday, Thursday, or come to school Monday, Tuesday, stay home Thursday, Friday. Interesting. And when do y'all start? We actually, the governor just announced that we are starting August 24th. Um, we were originally supposed to start August 13th, but that just got pushed back another um, 10 days, 11 days. And so again, things can change. It's still, I feel like it's still too early to really determine what this yeah. school year is going to look like. Yeah. And my parents are still back in Austin and it is like a little bit cray cray in Texas right now. And then I'm in Montana, which I think last I checked was like 50 of 50 for lowest cases in the country. So I'm living in the right place right now, but uh, Arkansas is kind of close to Texas. Are things bad there now or no? I It's, it's funny that you ask. It depends really who you ask. And in, in my opinion, I feel like it's, it's a big deal, but I haven't really seen it firsthand. You know, everything that I'm really kind of seeing is I'm basing it off of the news and off the reports and off of the numbers and stuff. And you know how Arkansas is. Arkansas is kind of like a small town in Texas. You know, there's a lot of people, but it's still like in the country hillside area. So we're not like super on top of each other. And then we have the, the means to be able to kind of get out and about. And it depends also on the population um, firsthand. What people are saying is the Marshallese community is really being affected by it. And in Northwest Arkansas, these are where a vast majority of the Marshallese community live. And so a lot of the, a lot of the 
those people who are Marshallese are being affected by COVID. And that community, it's wow, it's crazy. But then outside of that community, you're like, okay, everything seems pretty normal, seems pretty fine. Is that because they live in closer quarters or why is it affecting them so much? Um, I, I, w- I wish I knew just again, based off what I've kind of heard and okay. have read, I, it has to do with the living situation. You know, you're talking about a household where it could range from four to maybe even 10 people sharing a, a small housing unit and so they're all within that same area and it's totally understandable why they can kind of spread so fast especially if you're if you're not keeping a safe distance yeah yeah we just did a drive we actually have reserves for native american indians here and we gave one of our tents because they had nowhere to isolate is the problem and they were asking for tents so anyway a little update on the world status it is what it is that's what's going on in the world right now. But did you grow up in Arkansas? Let's talk about your story a little bit. Yeah, um, the best way is to kind of start at the beginning, um, give you a kind of quick recap, and then we can break it down from there. But I was born in Russia, and then at seven months, I was adopted. And Cheryl, who was living in Texas at the time, um, she adopted me. So I actually grew up in Texas. Um, I lived between Dallas and Houston and in the Valley. Um, those three areas. And then my senior year of high school ended up moving up to Arkansas. And so I've been here since my senior year of high school. Cool. And then tell us a little bit about where she adopted you from and why. Let's just go go from the beginning here. Yeah, I go from the beginning. So a little backstory about my mom. My mom, um, she's an occupational therapy, therapist. Um, she really did more um, outpatient stuff. So going to different clients' houses, visiting the families and working with those children. And then um, she wanted to have a family. She was single at the time and she wanted to adopt. And in the States, she can't adopt because she was a single mom and she looked outside the country. And so Russia was the best fit. She ended up adopting two kids before she adopted me, Michael and Emily, my siblings, but not biological siblings. She ended up adopting them. And Michael has a physical difference himself. He's missing his um, right arm. And then my sister, Emily, when she saw when my mom saw a picture of Emily, she saw that her baby picture looked awfully similar to her picture. And so that's why she kind of wanted to adopt her just because they look very similar. But since she also had a, a heart murmur and that's why she was placed in the orphanage. And then for myself, yeah, I was I was born actually on the 4th of July, four days after I was born. My biological parents kind of made one of the toughest decisions I think that any parent ever will face. Um, they kind of sacrificed giving me up so I could have a better life, a chance to be raised in a country that was very hopeful and me getting the resources that I needed. And, you know, I don't, I don't believe they didn't want me. I just think they couldn't provide for me. And so that's why they, that's why they, they um, placed me in the orphanage with hopes of me getting adopted. And um, my mom saw a video of these kids in the orphanage and there I was, um, it's funny because I have the video and I, I have to show it to my students and it always chokes wow. me up because the lady, she's she's an OT person as well. And she's videotaping me and she holds up my hand. So my left hand, I have three fingers that are functioning independent. Whereas on my, at the time, my right hand actually had was a web. It had three fingers stuck together. And also my hips were in cast because of my hip dysplasia and rickets. And the beautiful thing about my mom, Cheryl, at the time was like, there's really nothing wrong with this kid, you know? And I look at that video as well, because I'm like, wow, this kid just, 
he just needs to be loved. And I feel like that's what my mom, she felt through that video. And, you know, before even really meeting me, she felt yeah. that connection in that video. And she came to Russia to the orphanage, Baby House 23. From what I've been told is like my arms reached out to her right away. And she kind of, kind of knew that she needed to adopt me. And she adopted me and I came to America on February 1993, Super Bowl Sunday. So how old were you? I was seven months old at the time when I got adopted. Okay. Yeah, so I was born in July 1992 and then adopted when I came to the States, February 1993. Okay. So it was, it was very fast. I think with any newborns, especially with the physical difference, I feel like um, luckily both countries were on the same page of wanting, let's get this child a home. Like, let's not prolong this journey. Let's make this happen as fast as possible. And so my mom made it happen, along with other people in her church who helped kind of fund the adoption and prayed for me and stuff. Okay. So your two siblings then, I don't know that I knew that all three of you are from Russia. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. And then... I didn't also know that you're not allowed to adopt if you're a single mom. Is that still true in the U.S.? I don't know if it's still true. It makes sense, though, I think, because just questioning people's, like, why do you want to adopt, especially being a single parent, you know, just making sure what's best for the child and, and whatnot. I think that's where our country kind of has a little bit more red flags when someone with that profile wants to adopt. Okay, so she is single mom. I mean, went to Russia and then just came back with three kids on, on the same flight? Not on the same flight. So like Michael okay. and Emily were adopted before me. So Emily was actually, Emily is actually two years older than me. And Michael is actually, I want to say, gosh, seven years older than me. And okay. so Emily and him were in America, I think, for quite some time before me. And then my mom just had this huge heart. And so, again, I think she saw a video and just said, hey, that child looks like they need a home. And so she adopted me and then adopted then Daniel after me, who's from Romania. Okay. Wow. And so is it you four or were there more? There, There's four as we kind of call ourselves like the original four. And okay. then um, long story short, my mom meets my adopted dad, David. He actually adopted 10 kids from the States with his first wife. And then his first wife wow. passed away due to cancer. And so he's a single dad with 10 kids. And wow. Yeah. You just, you look at like, you know, both people who, who have a heart for adoption were kind of meant for each other, who would understand each other kind of coming into the relationship. And so that was 14 at the time. And then long story short, you know, they had continued to adopt more as the older siblings grew up. And really after us, what happened was there's a lot of, and aside from Daniel, I mean, not Daniel, from Sam, all the other adoptions were kind of um, adoptions that happened in the States and they just fell through. And um, these families would adopt like, for example, Charles, one of my brothers, um, he's from Korea, family adopted him. And then after like three, four years, felt like he didn't fit in because they're a white American family. And here's this Korean boy, you know, living in the States and they were looking for another house for him, you know, another home for him. And then my parents wow. were kind of, yeah, exactly. Like you, you, it hits you right in the gut. Like, how could someone do that to someone after just adopting them from Korea? And so my parents just had the heart of like, you know what? we'll love them. You know, if you don't want to love them, we'll take them in. And so they just kind of took in kids who had similar stories like that, who, who, yeah. who people who couldn't take care of them or just didn't feel the need and want as they did at the beginning. My parents would take them in. I'm not sure I really knew that that happened. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, it, it very, it very much is. And it's funny because like, I look at Charles now and I'm just like, man, Charles, he's such a, a great brother. He's such a great friend. He's, 
He's, you know, someone I enjoy hanging out with, someone that I love and appreciate. And there's so many things that he brings to the table, at least for me, like he loves to cook. And, you know, I know for myself, especially during quarantine, I've been trying to sharpen up my cooking skills and mm -hmm. he's just so helpful in that, in that way. And just, he's in college right now. He actually graduated from high school with his high school diploma and his associates because he was in this wow. program where, yeah, he was able to get both done. And, and again, you, you want to look back at that family and be like, look what you passed up on. You know, yeah. look what you kind of let something else cloud your vision for what Charles can be and what he is. Yeah, yeah it's interesting just in, in the world, I often wonder how many Albert Einsteins and just gifted Mozarts and people who are just actually living in an orphanage somewhere or in poverty somewhere and we never know and the world misses out that's why i it's crazy growing up in the large adoptive household um it was crazy but i realized how spoiled i am you know and i look back to that video when i was in the crib with you know five other babies like how very fortunate i am to have made it out made it to this country and have the freedoms that i have and so that's why again i always think like at the end of the day when i'm having a bad day i realize how fortunate and how spoiled i am yeah but then talk about this for a second, and I might be naive, but just let me know of, isn't it true that in Russia, like culturally, there's a little bit more of a stigma with people with physical differences or special needs or mental handicaps? Yes, very much so. I, um, it's very, very true. Um, I think that's why part of um, when I actually, um, we can get to it later, but when I've actually met my birth parents, that's what they were kind of told, you know, they didn't know anybody who had a physical difference who was living an independent life. And so the assumption was if there's something wrong with them on the physical outer, there's going to be something wrong with them internally and mentally and cognitively. And so even at the time in 92, Russia was putting on this front that we only have perfect people, you know, the people that come from our country are outstanding citizens and there was nothing wrong with them. And they kind of didn't want to have that have that image out to them. And you look at when the times when they were hosting the Olympics um, way back in the day, they were trying to cover up all these things. And it's just like your country is just like our country, our America, just like any other country in the world. Like we have our great people and we have our people who need just a little, a little extra love. We need a, a yeah. little bit of a, a handout to get through the day. And so that's why you look at a vast majority of the, the kids who are in orphanages are kids who have special needs. People at the time and didn't have the resources to figure out how to take care of them, you know, how to be like, hey, you know what, we can get this surgery done to give this person prosthetics where they can stand upright and so they can carry a job, you know, they can do yeah. all these things, you know, how can we help, We how can we adapt them to hold a pencil, to, to tie their pants, to tie their shoes, you know, all these things that help someone be independent because I think once you get through those, stages of learning i know even for myself looking back when i learned how to tie my shoe at a very young age i knew that my life was going to be okay because mm -hmm. i learned how to do something that people with tin fingers can do that i was able to do myself and i was like you know what i'm going to be okay everything's going to be all right yeah yeah has that changed in recent years in russia or is it still kind of underlying a little bit i mean to be perfectly fair like this isn't just Russia, like, I mean, we have stigma of people with special needs in the U.S., right? I think a lot of us don't understand how to interact or what to do, right? But how do you think that's changed in the past, how old are you, 27? Yeah, I want to say yes. I want to say I believe so it has because just talking to my biological sister and talking to my biological parents and they see who I am now, I think that's just one difference 
that has been made, like one life that has their perspective has been changed about people with special needs. And especially my family with people who, who are, I guess you could call us the United Nations, you know, I have a brother who's black. I have two brothers who are Korean. That's so cool. Yeah. all have our physical differences and they look at my family and they're like, wow, like they're loving, they're happy, they're smiling, you know, all these things. And so I feel like it has changed because Russia has a Paralympic program. They have Paralympic cool. swimming, they have winter sports for the Paralympics, you know? And so I think that it is changing. The outlook is changing in that country. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really good to hear. And then you made me think of something else. When we talk about this, and I know a lot of your siblings have differences. So what was it like growing up with all of those different kinds of siblings, for lack of better words? Was it just like, this is what we know? And I mean, what kind of view has that given you on the world? Because I have to think it's different than mine. Yeah, um, again, and, it's, and I look back just with how God says to love every person. In the person who's in the street, the person who's missing a leg, you know, God says that. And I feel like firsthand growing up, I got to experience what it meant for Jesus to come to the world, to love on the least of us. And growing up with all my siblings, I, I don't think I would, I would have traded it. I don't think I would have changed my upbringing because it's helped me look at my students in the classroom who come to school with their own baggage, with their own luggage, with their own stories. And it makes me look at them and be like, you know what? there's nothing different than them, than me, yeah. you know, we just, we all need to be loved. And so again, my upbringing has allowed me, I, I want to say to look at people differently with more of a heart, with more of an understanding and to, to not judge right away and to realize, you know what, you can say hello to someone, you can show them a little bit of, of love that Jesus has shown me and it can, it can be a game changer for them. You know, and I, and I look at my siblings and what it meant for all of us to grow up and to realize like we all had the, the same background of our parents gave us up for adoption and we were all in the same boat and we can work together and be this great, amazing household that really displays what God's love is all about. You know, the unconditional love. Yeah. I love that. I, you're talking about situations with your students. Do you have any stories of how you've been able to be an inspiration to students now, like on this side of, well, we'll get to the swimming in a little bit, but just that you've, you've overcome a lot and you are an inspirational person, but I think it would be really cool to have a teacher who even, you know, has five fingers. Yeah. Um, there's, I feel like there's two different ways that I'm able to connect to my students. And I, and again, this is air, very arrogant saying, but like I have a leg up on other teachers because a, like you said, I have a physical difference and B, I, I have a little bit of emotional luggage that I come with being adopted. And mm -hmm. at the beginning of the school year, not school year, but this year, I spoke to the whole school. And I got a couple emails from students who are adopted, who wow. are like, hey, like, I know that you found your birth parents. Like, is it possible for me to find my own birth parents? And it's these kids who are in sixth grade. And it gives you a little insight of like, even at a young age, these kids are dealing with so much and they're critically thinking. And I look back to myself when I was their age, I was asking those same exact questions of like, I'm not mad that I was adopted, but I just want to know why. Like, I want to put these pieces to the puzzle together. And I'm able to reach these kids at a different level than any other person because I was adopted and because I came from a broken home, because I came from this upbringing that was so different than the typical Jones's life, so to speak. And so I'm able to reach those students in that area. And I feel like just for them 
And I know for myself growing up, aside from my siblings, out into the community, out into the real world, I really didn't see anybody who had the similar story like me, who was striving and who was thriving, who kind of overcame the challenges that I have overcame. And so now for myself, me living my life and putting my life out in the public view helps me reach these kids who are like, man, where's someone that looks like me? Where's someone that is dealing with the same nonsense that I'm dealing with, who's asking these same questions. And, you know, I'm able to kind of be that shoulder to lean on for these kids who are going through that. And then on the, on the physical aspect of it, I'm sure you can attest to your friends growing up that there's a lot of people who deal with their self image. You know, they want to change this about them. They want to look a little bit more fit compared to someone else. And I know for myself, there's no surgery that's going to make me have 10 fingers. Like this is what I have. And I can't sit and tuck my arms into my pockets and try to hide. I need to embrace who I am. And so I feel like when people see that, man, Nathan, he's out there and he's got five fingers and it looks different, but he's still kicking butt. Yeah. Why am I struggling with who I am as a person? Hmm. And so these kids see me shoot a basketball or they see me tie my shoes or they just see me living an independent life even one of my closest friends, Alex, he's like, man, I don't know how you do it. Like, I don't think I could deal with having the physical difference that you have because everyone that you see is always going to be confused. And like, why do you have five fingers? You know? And for me, it's like, it's an incredible gift because it's a great icebreaker and it's just a great way to, to reach people in a whole different way. And so I'm able to reach these kids who deal with these self image issues. And they're like, you know what, at the end of the day, Nathan, he has his five fingers and he can't change that. Let me embrace who I am and be who I am. I love that. And part of the reason I just love what a confident person you are, but I know that it can't be that easy all the time, right? I mean, have you dealt with insecurities through your life growing up and did you get made fun of any of that? Oh, it's, I, I, yeah. And I'm like, and I, 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 I have this pause a little bit because I just flash back in my head of like, I remember when I was in second grade and I would say that's when it really hit me of like, I, I don't like having my physical differences. I was very frustrated. I was just upset. And I realized at that time I was having a bad day. It wasn't a bad life. And so again, at that very early age, I realized like, you know what, you're going to have bad days and you're going to pity yourself and you're going to try to victimize yourself, but you got to pick yourself up because it's not a bad life. But growing up, yes, I got picked on a lot and that's where I know for myself, again, why I have such a leg up on a lot of other people who are our age, who now are dealing with with these insecurities or who are dealing with these challenges, because at a very early age, I learned how to deal with the naysayers. I learned how to deal with people who are picking on me. You know, I learned how to deal with being different in a room where everyone else thinks, you know, you're weird and stuff. And so, yeah, growing up, it was hard. But then also I had a lot of people who loved and supported me and who had my back. I remember in seventh grade when I joined the football team. Yeah, I probably shouldn't be playing football. You know, I, I was I was athletic, but like I wasn't, you know, the star quarterback or whatever. But like I wanted to hang out with these group of guys who were playing a sport that we all enjoyed and we loved playing and they had my back. And so when someone else would pick on me outside of the football team, I had the support of people who respected me. And so for every person that looks down on me or picks on me there's you know five people to have my back and to pick me up and then just growing up and going to a different school or going to a new environment and just even going out to eat with my siblings there are people to this day who still look at us like what the heck is going on like that's a weird group 
out yeah. there, you know, and it, and it happens. And all you can really do is just understand that it's not us. It's those people who lack the understanding of what it means to be different and what it means to be made in the maker of your, of the image of what God has kind of made you to be. They don't understand that. And even today when I was actually working out at the athletic club that I work out at, I was, you know, I used these fitness bands and this kid kind of walked by just staring. And I can tell right off the bat when someone has spotted my fingers and they recognize like, whoa, there's something weird going on over there. I take a deep breath. I kind of say a little prayer, you know, because there's lots of times where someone can kind of push the button the wrong way and you want to stand up for yourself. But then you also, you just want to say, you know what, that's not nice. You know, you shouldn't treat people off of their looks. You know, you should try to get to know them, ask them what their name is and be like, Hey, what's your story? Kind of what you're talking about um, before this, about being vulnerable, being open. And even at 27, I still get picked on, you know, I still kind of get, those weird looks. And that's, I think that's the beauty of my gift that God has given me is because I'm able to be that Bible for someone without really throwing verses at them. I get to show them that, you know what? Yeah, I have these physical differences, but God still loves me. God still sees my life as redeemable. God still loves me enough to send Jesus to come die for me. Yeah. I recently did an interview that's not published yet, um, but talking to someone who has cerebral palsy, she walks with a limp and she said this line, she said, I've carried a lot of stairs in my life and like different kinds of stairs, like, like pity or confusion or just all kinds of stairs. And that struck me so hard. And so as I'm sitting here thinking, you know, my journey, although it has been physical, has been mostly internal. You know, I have a scar and that was like this huge thing. Cause I actually felt like I finally had something to show for everything I had been through. And so I have not dealt with that side of it at all. And wondering, asking, I told you before we started the interview, I feel like I just ask all the questions people would want to ask, but they think it's being really insensitive or would make someone uncomfortable. And so I want to ask you, like as someone from the outside, and I know we've been friends, but I remember when we met and our coach had said, hey, there's this guy who wants to start swimming and training. And he's wondering if there are any college swimmers who would help give him tips. And so I volunteered to just help and watch and see if I could help you with your stroke. And when we walked in, like I just went in for the handshake because I thought that was like the best thing to do and and to honor you and, and not be weird about it. But like, I didn't really know. And so like, what would you suggest? Like a someone coming up to you or like, would you, if this guy saw you at the gym, like should he look away to ignore you? I don't feel like that's good either. Like strike up a conversation with you, be like, Hey man, what's up? Like, what's your story? Like what, what would you say for you is the way you would prefer to be treated? Um, I think just like anybody else. And I feel like if you're curious, ask questions. I, I think especially people with physical differences, they've been through so much in life. They can, they have a backbone enough to say, you know what? Thank you for your question, but I want to talk about it. You know, it's simple as that. And I feel like you come, anyone can come up and ask, like, if you're curious, ask, because then that shows that you're willing to be vulnerable and letting your guard down to understand someone else's life. And I feel like that says a lot, especially in this day and age of what, you know, everything that's going on around us. And I, I feel comfortable with that because then it's like, you know what, you're not judging me. You're not looking at me from afar and you're not forming your own conclusion without giving me an opportunity to share my story. And I feel like I'd rather you come up and be like, Hey, I don't know how to ask this question. I don't know how to approach this, but I'm really weirded out by your hands. 
I'd rather you say that than kind of go to your friend and whisper, hey, did you see that guy? He's got three fingers and two fingers. You know, I'd rather you come up to me and be up front, you know, and say, hey, yeah, I don't know how to approach this. You look weird. Yeah, it's going to hurt a little bit, but I'm going to respect the fact that, you know, what, you're vulnerable and honest with yourself of saying, I have no idea what to think of this. Can you help me? And that's basically without them saying, can you help me? That's them saying, can you help me? You know, because yeah. they, they have come up and asked the question without really saying, you know, help me understand my misunderstanding. And it's admitting their own insecurity in a sense, like their own yeah, ability to be uncomfortable and be human. Yeah. And it's funny because one of my closest family friends, gosh, they've, I've known them since I was a kid when I went to camp with their husband, Vince, but um, his wife, Katie, she's like, I want you around my kids. And at first I was like, why? But then she kind of gave me insight. She's like, I want my kids to see that there are different people than them. Mm -hmm. I want my kids to be around people who have a little bit of a physical challenge. So then when they go out to their friends in their school, in a case, if they meet someone, they know how to treat them with love and respect because they see Nathan and they're like, you know what, Nathan is just as cool as I think him to be. Maybe this person is just going to be as cool as I think them to be, hmm. you know? And I, and I feel like that's the, the beauty again of, of my, my hand difference and my story is people, they want to know, they just don't know how to kind of communicate yeah. that a, a, across. And I totally respect that. And I totally get that because there are a lot of things in my life that I don't know how to communicate across to people. And I'm learning, you know, and it might come off rude, but at least you're being upfront and honest about it because I think at the end of the day, that's going to go a long way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, maybe not everyone would have your reaction if you walk up and ask, Hey, you know, what's, what's up. But I think that doesn't mean that just because one person's having a bad day, like, bro, why would you even ask me that? Does it mean that we shouldn't do that? And so, you know, it's, Honestly, won't go down this road very far, but you know, all the racial tensions happening in our country, it's just like, we just don't know. And not everyone's going to respond the same way, but I don't think that's a reason not to try to, you know, to do it a little bit better. So though I, I will say my biggest pet peeve or the one annoyance that I have, especially like when I'm going out to eat with my family, when people stare and it always like cringes me. And it's not because they're staring at me. It's more because especially Jimmy and Martin who have Down syndrome. And you, you, can, you, you can tell when someone has, who's living with Down syndrome just mm -hmm. by looking at them. And then you can just see these looks that these people have. And, it, and it's just like, it really like burns like fire inside of me where I just want to like shake them and be like, I wish you would get to know Jimmy because mm -hmm. if you knew Jimmy, it would change your perspective on life. But it's those people you can tell when they're, they're closed minded and they're sitting at the booth with their family and they're just talking. And it's funny because Sam and I, I remember growing up whenever we'd go out to eat after church and people would give us these looks and my parents didn't know how to really respond. And we're, yeah. gosh, we're teenagers at the time. And I won't lie. There are probably a few families that we kind of went off on and just mm -hmm. said like, Hey, if you want to take a picture, take a picture. You know, like we were just because they made us feel unwanted and unloved and just felt really disrespected. And it sounds bad, but we would go and kind of return that favor. You know, looking back on it now, yes, we were teenagers, we were immature, but that's how we felt. And like now, especially as I've grown up and I've learned kind of how to handle that situation better, is just kind of go up there, kindly say, hey, I, I understand we look different. 
that's great. If you want to take a picture, take a picture. If not, please let us enjoy our meal in peace. You know, please let us continue to live our life in peace because we're not judging you. We're not staring at your insecurities that we don't see, you know, because we all have our insecurities. We all have our things that God has blessed us with and we're not, we're not treating you the way you're treating us. Yeah. Well, you and I have, I think, decently similar personalities, but, you know, if I were you, I was just sitting here thinking this is total flesh, not surrendered to the spirit, but I would literally walk up to someone and be like, okay, see you later, high five, and yeah. just like, <laughs> just make them even more uncomfortable, but I know that maybe is not what Jesus would do in that situation, but, <laughs> so just on that note, wrapping that up though, in that situation, if we're out and we see a family full of, you know, mixed races, different physically abled people, you know, like your family, like what would be the best thing to do? Just continue on. Cause I feel like you can also tell if someone's like, we see you, but we're going to ignore you and be polite and not say anything and not look like you can feel that. Can't you? Mm, yeah. Big time. It's so different because I know for myself and who I am, I'm very like at the end of the day, I'm going to put myself out there and at the athletic club I work out at, um, there's a little kiddie area and there's this white couple who has adopted a black child. And I just, again, I think of t to my brother, Jimmy. And I know for myself, I try to put myself in that person's situation. And if someone from the outside is watching the, their family, who did I want to be at that time, if that makes sense? Who did I want those stares to be? Did I want them to come up and confront me? Or did I want them just to stare from afar? And I ended up, you know, again, this is kind of God moving through me and saying, you know what, share with that family. And so I went up to that family and I just mm -hmm. kind of said, hey, I, I see you've adopted a child. I just want to say thank you for adopting this child because I was adopted myself. You know, I think it's a great thing. And I, and I pray for your family and I hope this child sees the gift that has been given to them. You know, and that's what I did. Whereas someone else who doesn't have that background, if you're yeah. curious or confused, I think there's a way to approach it in a respectful way and open and honest. And if you want, and if you feel like the Holy spirit, or if you feel like your gut is tugging you to say something to this family, just say, Hey, I see your family's very unique. I just want to say thank you for what you're doing. Yeah. That can go a long way or just be like, Hey, I see you have a unique family. How did y'all become a family? Because I know my family, my kids are biological. You know, we don't know anybody else outside of our, our, our little uh, circle. How did your family come come about? And I feel like that's the best way. And if you're confused or just don't know what to say, if you're not going to say anything nice at all, just kind of like continue down your own road and don't treat them the way you're treating them. Like treat them how you would want to be treated. Yeah. Especially, it's kind of like, as I best way I say is like, you know, if you had a pimple that needed to be popped on your face, would you want someone staring at it? <laughs> you know, if you had something stuck in your teeth, would you want someone staring at it? No, then, you know, that's kind of what you're doing to us. And we can't get the little thing out of our teeth. You know, we can't go and floss our teeth to go change our physical differences. And so I feel like the best way is to, there's two ways to kind of keep walking and just let your small minded be what it is and just let them eat their meal in peace, just like you would want to eat your meal in peace, or just go up to them and, be like, and kind of give them that God hug and be like, Hey, I see you guys. I think what you, the, the family that you have is amazing. is awesome. I just want to say thank you for doing what you're doing. That's a really good piece of advice because I'm just sitting here thinking about your parents. And I don't know if you've talked about this as you become more of an adult, but you know, even with the huge hearts of just hearing this little part of their story that they have, I'm sure they get tired and have hard days and 
they get sick of being stared at. And so I'm sure that goes a really long way. It's funny because my parents, I, I think they know that people stare, but that's why they're adults. They don't care. You know, they've kind of like awesome. grown up. They've grown up and they've moved past it. And I think also they knew that even for myself, I would come to the to the defense of them. And so they worried about everything else. And they're like, we, we see that Nathan sees it and we're just going to let Nathan kind of vent and express himself. And so, yeah, my parents just, I think they, they, they took on what they knew they were going to take on and they could care less about what other, what everyone else thinks. Okay. I have to ask as a friend, have you learned the Enneagram? Um, I've, people have talked about it, but I've never really like dived into it. Okay. I'm just so curious what your number, I think. I have a guess. People say I'm the same. Really? Okay. If I if I'm recalling correctly. Okay. I just because um my husband and I are both eights and we're very, very much about uh like protecting the defenseless. So I wonder if you have some of that in you. That could just be a human thing and it's your siblings and you're protective, but also you could have an eight wing if you're a seven. I don't know. Not important, but I'm just so curious I had to ask. Uh let's shift gears a little bit. So let's go into swimming because that's super fun and tell us through all this and thank you for sharing all that. I think that was incredible, but, uh, how did you get into swimming and what is your story with that? Yeah. So growing up again with a large adoptive household, a PlayStation with two controllers wasn't going to suffice, you know, a household of 10 to 14 kids. And so our parents got a basketball goal and one basketball can be passed around, you know, 10 people very easily versus, you know, two controllers. And so we were very sporty. Um, that's what kind of helped pass the time by. It's what helped keep, kept us active, but also helped us overcome our physical differences. And so we played Foursquare, we played baseball, we, we took apart the dog kennel, made it into our back, own backstop. We did all these things that kept us active and we were just competitive every day and when the time came for middle school that's when in sci-fair we were able to compete on the school team sports because like we really couldn't afford being on club sports or anything on the travel teams or whatnot and so I was able to join football I joined cost country all these sports that I think at the time like probably I didn't really belong but like I really did belong because I had so much energy that I needed to to get out and so yeah in middle school I played football and ran cross country and then I helped with the basketball team my eighth grade year and then in high school when I uh, went to beta high school I joined the basketball team we it was a it was a small school really wasn't super competitive but like you know I made the basketball team and again it was just sport was very healing for me and it was kind of God's gift to me saying, yeah, I, I, I put you on this earth with these physical differences and here's something I want you to enjoy and to kind of embrace and stuff. And so sport was always my way out because I knew just because you have ten fingers and you can make a basket doesn't mean I can't make a basket. Doesn't mean I can't do a layup. Doesn't mean I can't throw a perfect spiral, even though I'm missing, you know, two fingers kind of thing. And so sport was a way for me to also shut up the naysayers because it's so easy to walk into a gym and, and judge someone from afar and be like, oh, that guy can't play basketball. And then you watch them dribble and you watch their creativity with what they're able to do and, and, and whatnot. And then you're like, okay, wow, I was wrong. Like, man, that person is actually pretty good. I want that kind of work ethic and determination on my team. And so at a very early age, um, like I said, sport was very healing for me. And it also shaped me to be 
be the person that I am today and just understanding like, yeah, you're going to overcome challenges. This is how you deal with it. This is what it means to persevere. This is what it means to set out on your goal and way to go for it. So, so yeah, sport was just very comforting for me. And no matter if I was having a bad day, I knew that I can go and, and play sport. And I think also that's where I gained a lot of self-respect, but I feel like I gained respect for other people because they respected me because it's these able-bodied people who I'm like, man, I know you're really talented. And I just want you to acknowledge the fact that, yeah, I may not make every shot that I try for like you, but I'm at least shooting the basket and I'm at least trying. And so I remember my coaches and a lot of my close friends, like I just, I wasn't like seeking their approval. I just wanted them to acknowledge me just as I acknowledged them. It's like an equal. Yeah, just equal. And because again, like there's lots of times at the end of the day, I'm the one that goes home with five fingers. You know, I'm the one that still goes home with these questions. I look at myself in the mirror and kind of ask like, you know, why was I born the way I was born kind of thing. And then so kind of fast forward, you know, I graduate high school. I joined the, the baseball team just because just to get to be involved. Part of things because it's so easy. And I will say this. It's so easy to pity yourself and stay at home and hide. Mm. Yeah. Or you can go out and be like, you know what? I want friends. We'll go make friends. Like, have you introduced yourself to someone? You can't just pin it on someone else saying, well, no one's really talked to me. Well, have you joined any clubs? Have you joined any organizations? Have you figured out the things that you like? And so I ended up joining sports because that's what I love to do. And that's how I was able to create a community of people who supported me. And so that's what um, made me want to be a PE teacher because I saw how my PE teachers treated me and respected me. They didn't say, oh, take the ball away from him. He's got five fingers. We don't know how that's he's awesome. going to shoot it. And again, it was just very empowering. Sport was very empowering for me because it helped me see that, hey, I can do it. Like, why not reach for something bigger? Why not go for the next big thing? And I wanted to be that for someone else. I wanted someone to find themselves through sport. And they may not be a professional basketball player or a starting pitcher for a major league baseball team, but you know what? They might find themselves and they might see that, you know, all the things that I've learned through my coach and through sport, I'm able to apply it to this company that I'm working yeah. for or this nine to five job that I'm working for. And so that's, yeah, that's why I got into um, physical education and the beautiful thing about physical education as a major is the things that you're teaching, you have to go and practice. Like you have to go and learn. And so to teach flag football, you have to learn how to play flag football. And so again, at college, we're still basically in PE, you know, we're playing flag football, we're playing ultimate Frisbee, Frisbee golf, we're playing basketball, pickleball, all these things that like, wow, I'm in college and this is what I'm going <laughs> to do for the rest of my life. That yeah. is awesome. Instead of sitting in a lab, no disrespect to those who, who are studying biology or whatnot, you know, that just wasn't for me. Yeah. And so again, like I'm still as a kid in, in college because I'm having fun, I'm playing sport, like I'm just reliving whatever my glory days kind of thing. And one of my classmates, Roberto, yeah, he, he speaks Portuguese. Um, he's like, well, you know, I am not going to do my best interpretation of him, but with his <laughs> accent, he's like, you know, dude, you have a physical difference. Do you know about all these other people who are competing on these world-class events? And I was like, mm, you mean the special Olympics? He's like, no, 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 not the special Olympics. You know, no disrespect to the special Olympics, but he's like, no, this for people with, you know, physical differences like you. He's like, you know, you need to check it out. And for me, I'm one to be like, man, you just give me a little spark. Mm -hmm. I'm going to catch on fire. Like I'm going to, I'm going to be blazing soon. 
And so I went home and looked up Paralympics. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is for me because we all knew about these top Olympian athletes every four years. And you're like, wow, NBC makes them look so spectacular. You know, I want to be just like them kind of thing. And mm -hmm. for myself, I was just in college. I was working at the Boys and Girls Club and I really didn't know what I was doing. And I'm very much kind of, I play things with the way God wants my life to go. And I'm like, God, if you got to open up the doors for me. And that's what I kind of, I said a prayer and I'm not, not even a prayer. I was just openly thinking like, God, like you put this in front of me. And if this is something you want me to step through, please hook me up with the university swim team. Help me find people who are going to get me to that oh. next level because I have no idea what to do, you know? And that conversation with Roberto led me to talking to my, one of my academic advisors, Dr. Sullivan. And, and I loved her perspective on this. And this is again, why I knew God wanted me to go into these uncharted waters because I had <laughs> never been. Nice pet. Yeah, exactly. Right. I've never been out this far into the ocean, so to speak. It could be kind of unstable. And you're just like, am I going to drown? Am I going to swim? And when I went up to her and I told her my idea, she's like, well, I have no idea. And it's so funny because I feel like most people, when they have no idea, they just shut off and they're like, sorry, yeah, I can't help you. I'm not a resource for you. But no, she was like, I don't have no idea, but she turns around to her computer and she's like, let's just Google. And that Google search allowed me to figure out the Paralympic sport movement, allowed me to figure out what sports were available. But then she's like, oh, wow. wait, I have a swimmer in my class. Maybe I can hook you up with her to set you up to talk. And that's what she that Suze? Yeah, to Susanna. Yeah, awesome. Susanna, Susanna helped me for a good chunk of the time. And then I came back and I wanted to join the, the swimming and diving team to be a student manager because I was like, what else can I do? To help myself how can I be mm -hmm. be this sponge to take in as much as I can take in and that's when I was like yeah I have no idea really about swimming but you know what I'm sure anybody needs a student manager so I stepped in and said yeah let me learn this sport firsthand and so I got to get a nice glimpse on the deck you know and then that led me to reaching out to the team again and saying hey you know can you get me anybody else that can help me out? And, you know, and I got to run into some great people like you, Savannah, you know, all these other people that have helped me get to Rebecca as well, helped me get to, to where I am. And that's why, again, God, I was like, man, God, you're moving over my life. Like, and that's how I knew it was a God thing because yeah. a kid who came, comes from a large adoptive home now wanting to be competing on this world-class stage, like you don't make that jump unless God is going to carry you through that jump. And again, every time I was up against the wall, like, okay, what do I do next? And God, is this what you want me to do? Open up doors. And he led me to meeting Kim Pike, you know, at my first able-bodied yeah. meet. And again, and I loved her. I love her because she heard my story and I, I wasn't seeking her out. Like I had no idea who she was. And the next day she's like, here's my number. If you're serious about what you're wanting to do, I would love to help you, you know? And that led me to the next thing and to the next thing. And it was just like, I, I smile now. And it, it makes me realize how very fortunate I am and like how moving God can be if you allow him to take control, if you surrender everything to him. The crazy thing, and, like, and I'm sure you can attest to, especially in college, there's so many people who are struggling with who are they supposed to be? You know, they're going through these highs and lows of like, am I in the right career track? What yeah. am I supposed to be doing? And here God is saying like, come take on this Paralympic endeavor, like this huge mountain. I'm going to carry you yeah. through these storms. I'm going to help you find out who I have designed you to be. 
you know, and again, I'm like I said, so I'm so very fortunate and spoiled because God gave me that vehicle. He gave me that opportunity to figure out who I need to be and has led to all these other great opportunities in my life that I don't think I would have had if I would have stayed home and played it safe. I yeah. guarantee you, I would probably still be living, you know, a basic life and there's nothing wrong with the basic life, but I don't think God designed me to have a basic life. I don't think he designed any of us to have a basic life. Right. Yeah. So why swimming? I'm not sure I heard you say like, why did you decide, okay, I found out about the Paralympics, but why specifically swimming? Because like from what I hear and you know, I can't fathom this from a very different background. You know, I was swimming real little, but just coming into triathlons and stuff that I, I dabble with now is people are like, oh, but if you don't start swimming, it's so hard to get into it. And so swimming wasn't necessarily like super in your background, was it? Why, what, why swimming? Yeah, that's, and it's, it's funny that you say that because, and you know, firsthand, like a lot of people that you know, who are competitive, who are at the collegiate level have been swimming since they're five. You know, yeah. I knew how to swim, how to save my, to like, to survive in the water, but no competitive background at all, at all. Yeah. And that's why, again, why I got turned down a lot, why a lot of people looked at me like you're 15 years late. Like, sorry, man, maybe next lifetime kind of thing. But um, yeah. so, yeah, as I was looking online, swimming was the best thing because you, you can tell in the Northwest Arkansas community, there's not a lot of people who have physical differences who are out there competing. You know, they're probably out there. There's there's not a big group of them together that you're able to, to have a Google search to be like, hey, can you set me up to be on this wheelchair basketball team? Can you set me up to play wheelchair rugby? Can you set me up to figure out what sport track I can do? And so swimming was the best thing for me because, A, I, I classified and qualified for it. And it's funny because in the Paralympic sport, yes, I have a physical difference, but in the Paralympic sport, I'm very um, – more able-bodied than probably disabled. Like I'm very high functioning compared to someone else. And so swimming was the best chance for me to be able to compete with other people who have physical difference, but they're not completely um, rely on other things to, to get around okay. and whatnot. And then also the university had a pool there. My student tuition fees already covered my hmm. membership to swim there. And so that's why I was like, all right, swimming is my kind of best fit right. for me to do. And so again, like that, how that opened up. But yeah, to talk on swimming, it's funny. When I went to my first like big national para swim meet, I was like this young, fresh rookie kid, whatever. Like, yeah, I've only been swimming six months and I'm mm -hmm. here. And at first, like I didn't think of it. But when I look back on like some of these experienced swimmers, it gave me this look like he won't last long. Like I'll yeah. be surprised. You know, he has no idea what he's biting off. And I think that's the beauty of realizing realizing I didn't know what I was biting off. I didn't realize, yeah. wow, swimming, like you're swimming at five o'clock in the morning or two hours. And then you're coming back later in the evening to, to do a double mm -hmm. kind of thing. And then you're lifting, you know, all these things that like, I can see why a lot of people get super pumped. And then that high brings them to a crash. And I know for myself, I probably would say I'm still somewhat on that high because every step I take forward is a new step that I had never taken before. Mm -hmm. But I can see why a lot of people turn away from swimming because it is demanding. It is a high price to pay that mm -hmm. I think for myself that I am very fortunate for because, again, it's shaped me to be who I am. And it's helped me gain understanding of what it means to be a world-class athlete and what it means to say, yeah. you know what, I am the best of the best. And I want to be the best of the best. And this is what it takes to be the best of the best. And so, yeah, swimming, it's one of those things you can probably be like, wow, like, 
you've only been swimming seven years and you've made it to trials. Like in 2016, when I made it to my first trials, I was just like, wow, like Paralympic trials, right? For people. Yeah. Paralympic trials. Yeah. And even the Olympic sport people, it takes 15 years to get to, Yeah, you know, I ended and, my career still missing it. So, you know, some people don't even get to taste that. And there I was like, I was, I remember like I was competing against one of the, the top USA swimmers in the Paralympics. And I was just like, kind of like all and starstruck of like, oh my gosh, I'm here. Like I made it, you know, and now when I like able to like sit and reflect on it, I'm like, wow, like I did overcome so much, but really it was God helping me get through these things. It was God, you know, making this possible. It was God setting up these people in my life to help me get to that next level because I can't take any credit because if I were to do it on my own, I wouldn't, I would probably be still, you know, sitting there fiddling my thumbs wondering, okay, what do I do? What do I do? You know, but God, you yeah. know, he, he had a, he had a plan. Yeah. So where are you now as far as world ranking or you were on track to, I mean, I know you were trying to make the Paralympic team for 2020 and then now that's been canceled or delayed hopefully to 2021. So where are you? And then what did that also look like? with just the disappointment of it being delayed. It's, it, it, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of like, I just smile because when you ask that question, if you would have asked me that seven years ago, I wouldn't have given you an answer because I wouldn't be in this position. And I smile because you know what? Yeah, 2020 may not be what we all envision it to be, but I'm so thankful to be in this position to be like, you know what? I'm glad to know what's on the other side. Yeah. Instead of like questioning, like, what if, what if right now, like this morning I got up and I trained and I swam, um, I've kind of like dialed it back just a little bit and training wise, just kind of like allowing my body to heal and just kind of hmm. doing a lot of reflection. Um, yeah. So this, before the pandemic happened, I was actually slated to go to Thailand to compete at the, the world games. And I was super pumped because that was like my first big international meet. You know, I had the stars and stripes cap, you yeah. know, I had my last name on it. Like I had the gear, I had all this stuff. And like, I'm like, all right, cool. This is awesome because all these years of hard work are slowly paying off. And it's, mm -hmm. it's so easy to wish for something and be like, oh, I want it within a year. And if you don't get it within a year, people quit because it's like, oh, was it meant for me? But here, you know, all these years of hard work and, and, gritting and grinding has finally paid off and I was pumped and it got delayed and it's very easy to sit and be upset and kind of feel like you have the right to be frustrated and whatnot yeah. and, I, and I just again I look at it like I was given this opportunity you know and I don't think I would have had it and and right now it's so hard to kind of think that far ahead especially with everything being so uncertain Mm -hmm. And that's why for me right now, I'm just kind of taking it day by day and realizing, you know, if, if this is the kind of end of my swimming chapter, I'm okay. Because, you know, I, I didn't seek this out for myself to get a gold medal. You know, I did this so God's light can kind of shine through me. I did this so God can reach to me so I can have a closer relationship with God um, to help me kind of get through life and stuff. And so right now, like I said, I'm playing it day by day. USA just announced that Minneapolis is still going to host 2021 Paralympic swimming trials. They put out a date okay. for that kind of thing. And so that's a good start with the Paralympics, though we have to wait to see when there's going to be competitions. 
what's the qualifying standards going to be, you know, all these things, if they have changed what it's going to look like kind of thing. And it's why I teach because I'm not in that realm. Like I have no idea what's going to happen. And so all you can do Mm -hmm. is kind of sit and wait patiently in the ready room, so to speak. And when they call, Mm -hmm. call your event, call your name, kind of be ready to suit up and go. Yeah. It's so hard not having any clue though. It's, it's hard, but, and that's why it's one of those things. It's, it's why I believe in God and why there is a God. And it's, if I had a clue, you know, there'd be no need for a God. And the way I look at it, I'm just like, and here's the beautiful, beautiful thing about my journey in my life. And I look back and so many people can sit and be like, man, that sucks. Or this and that, like, I feel sorry for you kind of thing. And going through this 2020 year, I'm like, this isn't the worst thing that happened to me. Yeah, It really isn't, you know? And that's why for me, like I can stress out here and there, but at the same time, I'm like, this isn't nothing compared to what like yeah. I've gone through, you know, this isn't nothing for what's to come. It's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the chapter. And that's why for myself, like why I'm so grateful to have a relationship with God and, and to have that faith background, because I know a lot of people, their identity is tied into what they're doing. Yeah. And so right now, especially since they're not competing and they're not able to post this great picture of them representing these sponsors and doing all this and that, they have no idea who they are outside of it. And luckily for me, again, like I, I have the Bible, you know, and it's God's love letters telling me like, you're not a gold medal, you know, you're gold in my heart, but I didn't put you here to win a gold medal. You know, I put you here to reach, reach everyone else, you know, to show yeah. my love. Yeah. So I, I just looked and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's already been an hour. So I know we have to wrap up soon, but there is one thing that I did want to ask about just for people kind of bringing it full circle is when you were headed to the Paralympics, you said that your birth parents were going to come see you. So talk about just that journey, uh, maybe briefly, maybe not. We're, we're engaged, so it's fine. Just meeting your parents and stuff. Yeah, you could cut out all the other stuff because I think for me, this is more important. And talking about like healing. Yeah. Again, for the longest time, I always wrestled with where I came from, how I look like, because everyone would always compliment, like my parents were like, oh, you have a handsome young boy, or Nathan is, is so precious, and this and that. And I'm like, man, I wish my birth parents can see that. I wish my birth parents can experience that. And so, again, growing up, my parents were always open about me being adopted, and I always wondered when my birthday rolled around, if my birth parents thought about me and at a young age, that's kind of like damaging to do to yourself, to mess with your psyche and be like, you know you know, your, your thoughts can really, can really hinder you in aspects in life. But I'm thankful for it because I wrestled through those emotions and I kind of was really like crying out to God, like, God, I have this hole in my heart. Please fill it. Like help me figure out like where I came from and I would give it to God and then I'd move on and then I'd give it to God and I'll move on. And then it's funny when I started my Paralympic swimming and I really gave it to God is when I really went to reach out to my birth family. And so long story short, I have my minor in law. I was in one of my federal classes and it was talking about the Freedom of Information Act. And the professor was saying like us citizens have the freedoms to request information that's public. And I went up to him after class and talked about being crazy and being vulnerable and asking these weird, silly questions. I was like, hey, can I have my adoption papers through this? Can I find my adoption papers? He's like, yeah, I don't see why not. And so I went home. Printed out the Freedom of Information Act request. I gave them my resident alien number, like all this information. And I was like, I want my adoption papers. And I sent it off. And again, I was like, hey, God, this is me trying. This is me stepping out. 
please help me. Like, don't let me down kind of thing. Like, don't let me experience this hurt that I've been feeling my whole life. Did your adopted parents know that you did this? Yes. And so my, uh, my mom, Cheryl, she's adopted as well. So she totally understood. My dad was very supportive as well. David, he was very supportive. And so they're like, yeah, go for it. Because if it's going to help you do it, like, we're not going to hold you back. Like, we're not going to tie you down if it's, if it's going to bother you. And so, yeah, I did it. And nothing happened. And I was super bummed, but then I got sidetracked with Paralympics. And it was kind of like I got to devote my energy to that. And then it's funny, the anniversary of when my parents signed me over, my brother called me and said, hey, like you have this CD from the federal government. And I was like, CD from the federal government? What is this? And I was like, well, let's get on Skype. He plugs in the CD and he shares the screen. And lo and behold, it's 55 pages worth of my adoption, of my medical records, of all these things that took place in Russia. And I was just like, I got teary eyed. And, and I didn't know at the time on the July 8th was when my parents signed me over. And then, you know, I'm scrolling through and here we are July 8th. I can't remember what year, probably like 2013 or 14 when I got my adoption papers. Um, I was like, wow, like this is such a God thing. I was kind of like saying, hey, you know what? You weren't ready then to find your birth parents. You weren't ready. Now you're ready. Now you're now you're an adult. You're going through these things. You're trusting me. That's great. And so God gave me this gift of seeing my birth parents. And so I got to see their addresses. I got to see their names, their passport numbers. And so I was like, you know what? Let me write them a letter. So I wrote them a letter. Nothing. You know, I did more Google research, wrote them another letter, nothing. So finally, it's my senior year of college and I'm graduating. And I'm like, God, like, this is a big thing. I came from an orphanage. Now I'm graduating from a top university in the country. Like I'm getting my college degree. I'm going to be a teacher. You know, I'm winning. I'm doing this yeah. all like you're, you're moving through me, God, like, but help me close this chapter of my life because I'm tired of resorting back to this. I'm tired of using this as my limp to get me through life. I'm tired of using this as something to feel sorry for myself. I want to get over it. Yeah. And so boom, I'm substitute teaching. And I'm like on Facebook during my break and I get this message and it's from someone with my biological last name. And she's like, Hey, my name is Natalia. I think I'm your sister. And I'm just like, either someone is playing a mean joke on me or this is for real. And she's like, she's like, I got your letter. And I was like, can we Skype right now? And so luckily I only live like 10 minutes away from the school. I left. I told the building principals, like, I have to do this. Like, this could be my only opportunity. So I go home. I Skype with her. She shows me my birth family. I got to meet my birth parents, you know, on Skype. And for me, all I wanted was to see a picture of where I came from. I got that, you know, and not, not, not every kid who's adopted gets that. And that's why with some of these kids who, who are in middle school or who are adopted, like, they don't get that opportunity. You feel very hopeless because you're looking for a needle in the haystack. And I feel like with my story, there's hope. There's a way to kind of stay with it, you know, and just trust God and believe in him and give it to him and like really surrender because I did a lot of surrendering. And you can look at my life and where I am at right now. The one thing is a testament is you ask anybody who's, who's fast at running or swimming or really good at whatever they're doing, they'll tell you they suffered. It didn't just happen. And I know for myself, there was lots of nights where like I cried. I was a big baby, you know, but it was just me surrendering and giving it to God. And yeah, I got to find my birth parents, but I got to know God so much more. I got to really understand what 
it means to be redeemed, what it means to be restored, you know, all these things and why he sent Jesus to come die for us, you know, all these things that we couldn't do ourselves that I'm able to experience. And finding my birth parents was just, gosh, the icing on the cake. It was just more than I could ever ask for. And I'm very at peace to have that closure, to have that. And to also maybe, you know what, I figured out how to find my birth parents, you know, and that might help some other kid who's struggling, who could be like, you know, I'm struggling. I'm at the end of the rope. What can I do? I need something. And I'm like, Hey, have you tried this? Mm -hmm. You know, and that gives them some kind of sense of hope, you know, like, Hey, try this. Yeah. Do you still talk to your birth family at all or? Yes. And um, we talk like once a month kind of thing. It's very hard with the time change. And especially you realize you're living your life. They're living their life. I'm waiting to kind of have that homecoming to go visit them in person. I really have been putting it off. Mm-hmm. And I wish I, I wish I'd gone to see them sooner, especially before the pandemic. Can't live like, like that. But um, I'm hoping, like I said, especially with once my swimming chapter ends, is to go visit them and to see them in person because I'm sure they need closure themselves. Yeah, like, you know, were they gracious? Like, how was that? Like, sorry, you know, like they gave you up and now you're contacting them. I mean, was was that a hard conversation? I mean, it's awesome that you have this relationship now, but I'm sure from their perspective, that cannot have been easy. It, it wasn't easy, especially for my birth mom. You know, I'll never know the position that she was in. My dad was ecstatic. My biological dad was ecstatic that I found them. Yeah, he was grinning ear to ear. My mom, she was a little bit like, and I think what she dealt with was the reality of like what we were told when you were born and where you are now are two different things. Yeah. And they see how I've come about and I'm sure they wish they played a part. And in a way, though, the way I kind of tell them, the way I I see it is they did. They sacrificed. Like so many people want to have a child. And they had a child and they felt the best position for them was to give me up. And they did. And that's such a a hard thing to do as a parent, to give up your child in hopes that they're going to have a better life somewhere else. You know, and that's such a a gut-wrenching thought to think about. But I think my parents realized that they did it for the best. And I always comfort them. And I tell them like, you, you did the best you could. Yeah. And the best you could was placing me up for adoption because I have the independence. I have a steady job. I have all these things that maybe I would have been able to get, have received mm-hmm. in Russia. It's crazy. I mean, just your story is a story of inspiration, but it's just a story of hope. It's- well, I, and I, I want to say this kind of, you know, hopefully this makes the cut and whatnot. And if you were to ask me if there's one last thing I would want to share is, this Bible verse from John chapter nine, verses one through three, it always spoke out to me because I think it, it, it speaks loudly to me and where we are now. But it says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Teacher, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it a result of his own sins or those of his parents? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. He was born blind so that the power of God could be seen in him. And so for myself, like, that's just so comforting, you know, and I always refer to that verse of like, why was I born with this physical difference? And it's so that the power of God can be seen. And I feel like it happens every day that I wake up and I I live my life, that I'm out there swimming, training, working out because someone's going to see Nathan and be like, wow, I know someone else who has a physical difference. And if this guy's kicking butt in the pool, I know that person's going to be kicking butt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love that you shared that verse. I'm actually 
preaching a message for Heal, which will be over by the time this airs, but on John 9 and 10. And I had this thought, not I had this thought, I'm reading the Passion Translation and I read the footnote is how it happened. Let's be real. But just that in that culture, many times he would have heard people spit at him because he was blind and that was seen as like a sin or something he was cursed and so when jesus came he spit on the ground to heal him and he would have thought it was someone just spitting and it was actually jesus and then mixing it with the mud and and that's how he healed him and i think that is just like such a cool detail and then just going on but john 10 10 right he's jesus said that he came to give us life and life abundantly and so i i think god has that abundant life for all of us not just like you were saying not a boring ordinary life but an abundant life and so thank you for being here today and thank you for showing us what an abundant life looks like yeah no thank you for having me i appreciate it you know and hopefully you know this speaks volume to someone to bring them closer to their own maker Man, I love sharing stories like this with you all because each person is so unique and Nathan's perspective is incredible and refreshing and encouraging. And I know you and I will be cheering for him in 2021 if the Paralympics happen. And no matter what's happening in the world, I know it's a little bit crazy right now. For those of us who live in pain, that doesn't change the fact that we are living with other limitations. If anything, it makes it exemplified amidst the overwhelm. And so please keep meeting us back here. We're going to keep giving you encouraging conversations that hopefully point your eyes towards Jesus above your circumstances. We have another one of those stories coming up next Monday with Michelle Eastman. I think you're going to love it. So meet us back here then and I will talk to y'all next week.